Jackson on the drive, kicks it out for Mann. Mann, three-pointer, bang! Oh, what a man! Magic down the middle, just what I thought, a hook shot at 12, good! Here's Michael at the foul line, a shot on Elo, good! The Bulls win! They win! Now that's a steal by Murr, underneath the DJ, right there! Going up over Bell, Paul away! What's going on, guys? Welcome to another post-game live here for the 2023 NBA playoffs on Dime Dropper, live from Los Angeles. Before we get started, make sure to subscribe on YouTube at Dime Dropper and hit the notification bell so you know every single time that I go live. We go live after basically every single night of the playoffs, and now we're at the point where we're only getting a post-game recap of one game a night. So the podcast portion of the video or the episode is going to be shorter, which honestly I like, and I think you might like as well. I've had like hour-long episodes every single time of the playoffs, but obviously I timestamp them so, you know, you can listen to whatever game recap you want, but it's a lot of work for me, one, and also maybe help with the algorithm seeing shorter videos, but the best part about it is when I do go to the live chat, I will be willing to, you know, add some people on to talk as well and give their opinion on what's going on in the playoffs. What am I looking for here? Okay, there we go. The bottom line. Anyway, let's get into this one. So obviously only one game to talk about tonight. Remember to follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at Dime Dropper Pod. But it's only one game tonight. Happy Mother's Day, by the way, to all the mothers out there. I don't know how many mothers actually listen to me, but if you do, my happy Mother's Day. And happy Mother's Day to all you boys' mothers that listen to me, the 90% or whatever. Definitely going to need some more female representation, but... I'm going to be having, by the way, some big-time previews for these conference finals. One coming out on Monday with a Nuggets fan and a Laker fan, and then another one on Tuesday with a Heat fan and a Celtics fan. So it's going to be great. we got the bubble rematch for both from both conferences. But before I get into all that shit, let's get into the game today. So a Game 7, our second one of this year's playoffs. And obviously, you know, last year we only got three Game 7s. You don't really get that many a season, so you really got to cherish them when you get them. And, I mean, Boston Celtics-Philadelphia 76ers Game 7, it doesn't get much bigger than that. I obviously consider this, as I've said many times in these episodes, the second greatest rivalry in NBA history. It's obviously the rivalry that has been played the most in NBA history, or the series, I should say. And tonight was huge. However, I always favor the home team in a Game 7. I don't have the numbers in front of me, and if I look it up on my computer right now, it's going to burn up and I'm going to start lagging, sadly. So can't do that tonight. But let's just say the odds are overwhelmingly in the favor of the home team in Game 7. And I always bet on the home team. Now, before the series, if you recall, my prediction was Celtics in 7. And a large reason why is because I don't believe the 76ers actually have the best player in the series. Now, I think that's very debatable. But Jason Tatum, it's just not even a question at this point of their careers that he performs better in the playoffs. Maybe we hold Embiid to a higher standard and he underperforms relative to that standard that we are that harsh. But I don't know about that. I genuinely believe that Tatum has been better in the playoffs. Definitely for his standard, but in general. And in this series, you know, he performed when it counted. And Embiid, a large thing is closing. You've got to close. 
Embiid didn't close game six, so the Sixers and Harden. So they put themselves in a position to be in a game seven on the road. So let's talk about it. At first, you know, funny enough, I actually thought that the Sixers looked like they were going to make it a game. Embiid was very aggressive. Jason Tatum was very aggressive, which you could see that he was going to respond. You know, he's had such terrible starts in this series. For him to go four for eight in the first quarter, have 11 points, that was absolutely massive for his confidence. And the 76ers were switching a lot, but the defense was good, especially Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid. Embiid had two blocks at least, I counted, in that first quarter, coming out of nowhere for a help side block. He was guarding Horford in the corner, but he was doing a really good job of timing his, you know, help. And obviously, Al Horford going into this game, he hadn't shot well from three the last two games. So you know Embiid was going to be extra aggressive on the help. And Jason Tatum, one thing I really loved about him early on in the game was that he was going to the basket more, trying to get into the post a little bit more, not doing a bunch of dilly-dallying on the three, tween-tween, step back all the time. He got himself in rhythm by going to the basket, getting in the line, doing it the old-fashioned way. Now... The reason why the Sixers were winning by six after one wasn't just Embiid because James Harden got off to a slow start. P.J. Tucker had 11 points in the first corner in the first quarter, largely off those corner threes. And P.J. Tucker, obviously somebody who did not shoot the ball well in game six, and the Celtics are going to let him shoot all the time, whether it's in the pick and roll, leaving him open, or doubling off of him from the weak side. And he was hitting in the first quarter. Second quarter, you started to see a little bit of a response for the Boston Celtics, and it starts with the Jays. It all started to shift on a momentum-shifting flagrant by James Harden with his follow-through knocking Jalen Brown in the face. In my opinion, very soft. I understand, though, that you know getting hit in the face has been a technical in recent years, but I've seen a couple people get knocked across the face in these playoffs and they don't review it for a flagrant. So if you want to call it a flagrant when you get hit in the face, make it consistent because in my opinion, even though Jalen did have a face injury, I would like to think that James Harden didn't do that intentionally. I truly don't think he did. Let me know in the comments if you did, but that shifted the game. Jalen Brown made a couple of free throws and then he started clapping to the crowd and Jalen Brown went on the record and criticized the Boston Celtics crowd saying that they've been okay at best or something along those lines so far in these playoffs. And, you know, Boston Celtics have one of the best crowds in the NBA. I've only been to six NBA game experiences, the two in L.A., Wizards, Suns, Celtics, and Knicks. And the Celtics and the Knicks were obviously the, the loudest. But I think the Celtics, I've been to three Celtics games And by the way, you can check out one of them. It's a vlog on there, my graduation last year. And you can find that in the playlist for vlogs of 2021-22. But point is, the Celtics, in my opinion, probably had the loudest crowd. Although Knicks are right there with them. And obviously the games that I went to is all situational. Like what they were like at the time, how good the game was, all that. But let's put it this way. The Celtics historically have one of the best crowds in NBA history. So for them to get criticized like that by one of their own is big. And they brought it today. My good friend Dean, who you could catch on the... I think it was the Group G, Group Preview of the World Cup, the Spain, Japan, Germany, Costa Rica group. He's a huge Celtics fan, obviously lives in Massachusetts, one of my UMass boys, and he was actually in attendance tonight, which was awesome. You know, anytime you get to go to a Game 7, I've obviously been to several, it's a blessing because those are the games that you're going to tell your grandkids about, your kids about, and the atmosphere in that building. You just knew the Celtics weren't going to lose. It felt very much like last year against Milwaukee. You don't want to play a Game 7 in Boston. It's just like... 
LeBron to be able to actually have won a Game 7 in Boston once with that 2018 team. Granted, it was a very young Celtics team, and they missed three after three. But you got to give credit to that whole Cavs team. Not just LeBron, but mainly LeBron. He played the whole game that one. That was one of his best performances to me, just given the weight he had to carry. And then, who's another guy that won a Game 7 in Boston? Oh, well, Orlando did it in 2009, but Garnett didn't play. I mean, that, that was a little different to me. But other than that, I've never seen that happen in my in my life. Those are the only two. 2018, LeBron, and then 2009, Orlando Magic. They won two Game 7s in 2008 against LeBron and the Hawks. They almost lost the LeBron one, the Cavs one. But you just knew the Celtics were going to win this game. Jalen Brown started getting to the hole, started knocking down a couple of jump shots coming off screens. Celtics went on a 7-0 run. And then Tatum, you know, his jumpers started falling. As I said, he was aggressive early, but then he started getting... Embiid, Maxi in the switch, and even Tobias Harris couldn't fuck with him. Tween, tween, um, pull ups, mid ranges, 25 points at the half, 14 points in the second quarter. He was being uber aggressive, and Joel Embiid started getting started going cold. He was getting to the line, but all he was doing kind of in the whole Sixers offense was isoing him on the left side of the court, um, and he would dribble into the left block. And then start posting up, try to go to that turnaround over the left shoulder. Sometimes the Celtics would double, but oftentimes in this game, they were playing it straight up with Al Horford, just one on one. And Embiid, he was getting stopped. Good contests, misses, a lot of them short, some blocks, and just life make, making life tough for him. And even though sometimes he would get the double, like he'd have Marcus Smart on him. One thing I have liked about Embiid in this playoffs is he has turned away from the double, which is why I'm always pro post up when you want to counter double teams, is going turning away from it. But there's still tough shots regardless. Now, you might be asking, why did they go so much to the Embiid post up or Embiid isolation instead of the pick and pop that's been working so well for them all season and all series? Well, Missoula's adjustment of starting the Time Lord was the difference maker because what they were doing was in the last two games is Al Horford would stay home on Embiid or maybe just drop for just a second, just enough for Jalen Brown to get back in front or get back onto his hip. Horford would then retreat so he would still be able to get out to the pass. So even if Embiid does take that shot, it's a hand in his face. If Harden turns the corner and keeps going downhill, he's got Jalen Brown on his hip, but then you have the Time Lord coming for rim protection, sagging off of P.J. Tucker. And what I think is interesting is that they didn't really go to P.J. Tucker as much as the game went on, even though he started out the first quarter well. I think Glenn, he just, or or maybe it was the Sixers. I don't know if it was Glenn's call, but I think they just wanted to make sure the ball was going through Embiid as opposed to through Harden and then P.J. Tucker. Maybe Embiid doesn't touch the ball on possessions. And you want to live and die with your best player in a game seven. So I think that's what their rationale was. As far as Plumber Jim, who he was tonight, and it's funny because it came down to this. The series was seven games, right? All three games that we got James Harden, the Sixers won. All four games that we got Plumber Jim, the Celtics won. And tonight we got the finest plumber in the city of brotherly love. Call him if you want to get your toilets fixed because he was an absolute plum god. Typical James Harden in big time moments when it's an elimination game. 2017, no Kawhi Leonard. Dude gets clamped by Jonathan Simmons. 2018, Game 7 against the Warriors. Great first half. Just keep chucking. Just keep chucking. Threes. No in-between game. 
2019, game six against the Warriors. No KD. Dude's out here smoking layups, throwing the ball away on an inbounds pass. How many times last year, quitting and then showing up at the strip club, or, you know, or a club with a little baby that night. Actually, I don't even know if that's true, but he was at a club that same night. He got 20 piece jogging down on defense in transition after turning the ball over. Miss me with this guy, bro. You started comparing him to Kobe, to Dwayne Wade. Are you serious? Easily a top five shooting guard ever. You must love the regular season then. Because in the playoffs, first option or second option, this guy has proven that he cannot win a championship or has not. And I don't think he's going to. And you know what? I can't even get too mad at him. And I, I've been toning down my hating, by the way, this playoffs with James Harden because I actually like the way he's been playing. But today, the Celtics were doing the very smart thing of when he was isolated, forcing him right. They were getting this hand on his hip. Sometimes hand-checking was called. Sometimes it was not. It's obviously a game seven. And all he does when he gets hand-checked is he tries to lean in and flail and rip through and try to get two free throws when he's going right. He's been doing that for years. And everybody knows it. It's just a matter of if his first step is quick enough that even if you are forcing him right, he can still get by you and then, you know, get all the way to the basket when you're behind him. But if you're on his hip and you have the length to potentially deter his shot, he loves to just flail and get the bump and throw his shit up there. And he started foul baiting again and nothing was working for him. Now, one of his counters this season has been the step back, but he couldn't get any elevation on his shot and he was just being worked hard and all of them were, sh were short. So he stopped going to it. He was missing floaters. He was running into traffic he was god awful Embiid was four for 12 at the half Harden was two for eight at the half and as that was happening Jalen Brown was working his ass off in the second quarter not only was he scoring as I described earlier but diving for loose balls there was one in the corner by the Celtics bench he dove for he didn't get it but and then there was that scuffle with Harden where he pulled his jersey got away with a foul this is late in the second quarter and then George Niang grabbed his knee as he was getting back on defense, he had a technical. So you love to see the tempers flaring. These teams have history with one another going back to the 60s. So, I mean, I love to see the no love lost. You know, fuck the Sixers if you're a Celtics fan. Fuck the Celtics if you're a Sixers fan. But man, it must suck to be a Sixers fan right now in this rivalry because as Joel Embiid famously said, they've just been kicking our ass. And that's exactly what they've been doing. At 3-0 and now in playoff series in the Embiid-Tatum era. Oh, it's tough. It's tough. 13 points at the half for Jalen Brown. As far as the Celtics, they were doing some pick and rolls. Embiid was in the uh, high drop, but also kind of in that regular drop. And you started to see them get Time Lord involved with lobs. But, and also with PJ Tucker hitting the early shots, I remember one time when they went to a Harden Embiid pick and roll, uh, pick and pop, the Celtics sagged off Tobias. Because he wasn't shooting very well. So I think Glenn was just like, they can funnel it to who they want given the situation. And James is running into traffic. So let's give the ball to Embiid so he initiates. And that's when Al Horford's defense just started being showcased. And then, so by the way, at halftime, the score was, let me check, 55 to 52. So given everything I said, the Sixers were right there. And you know what? We know about third quarter Warriors. But today we got third quarter Celtics. Joel Embiid got exposed. And yes, I'm using the word exposed. James Harden got exposed. Jason Tatum became a man amongst boys. Jason Tatum went to another level in the third. 
he was targeting and beating the pick and roll repeatedly. And B didn't look the same anymore because the other guys were starting to make shots on the Celtics. Horford hit a second three in the second quarter. So he had two threes in the first half. And Embiid started getting Embiid on a switch. I'm sorry, Tatum started getting Embiid on a switch. And he started tween, tweening, you know, pulling in front of his face, getting to the basket. You could see that even though Embiid has done a really good job in this playoffs of switching at times, he couldn't guard Tatum one-on-one. And just, just to be fair to him, there aren't many guys that could guard Tatum one-on-one, let alone at the center position. The only two I would give a shot to are Anthony Davis and... I would even say Jaron Jackson, to be honest. Anthony Davis and Bam Adebayo. So we'll see in the next round. But Tatum was giving him fits. He was giving everybody fits. He was on a different level tonight. And this is what I love about Tatum, man. This is why I've been saying since his rookie year, this is a special player we have on our hands. He embraces the moment. Okay, he had his shitty finals last year. A lot of it is Andrew Wiggins and how great of defense he was playing and how great of defense he's how great of a defender he's become. But look, it was his first finals. He was 24 years old in his fourth year in the league. He was, I'm sorry, was it his fourth year? No. His fifth year in the league, he, you know, he got, the moment was too big. But overall, you look at his rookie year, the way he played in the playoffs. Second year was just a dysfunctional year all the way around. But you look at his, and he was good in the first round against Indiana, by the way, but everybody knew they were going to win that series. You look at the bubble. He was a beast. You look at even the year they got 4-1 against Brooklyn, the only reason they didn't get swept was, and even he's, he didn't even have Jalen Brown. He had Jalen Brown and a shitty supporting cast. No Jalen Brown and a shitty supporting cast, I should say. And he had a 50-point game. That's why they didn't get swept. And then last year, he was amazing until the finals. Yeah, he's going to have some bad games here and there, but he is a playoff riser. He is a playoff riser, and you cannot say the same about the MVP on the other side. Jason Tatum was getting buckets, just straight up buckets in every way. He was hitting his three ball. He was hitting his three ball tonight. But what was so disappointing what was, what was, is what was going on on the other end. I agree with some of these comments, by the way, from my live chat. Maxi wasn't getting the ball enough. They didn't initiate with him enough. They went, they, listen, they went down swinging with Harden and Embiid, the duo that have led them all season. And those guys have shown time and time again that they are not ready for this moment. I always say, you know, my good guy Ricky G, he always says there's three different seasons. There's the regular season, there's the postseason, and then there's the final four standing. I have a different variation. I say there's the regular season, the postseason, and the final eight standing. Because the second round, you often get champ- uh, series that are championship quality. You know, and I've been... And especially because I'm a Clipper fan, I just know that the second round and the first round is so different because we had that barrier. If you're a Lakers Celtics fan, maybe not so much. But I genuinely think that the second round, you really can get two teams that have a chance to win the championship matching up against each other. You don't get that in the first round 99% of the time. For example, like in 06, one of my first big time series. Dallas Mavericks and Spurs, two 60-win teams in the second round. Last year, you had the two best teams in the East playing in the second round, Milwaukee and Boston. No disrespect to Miami. 2021, Milwaukee and Brooklyn was the Eastern Conference Finals, not Milwaukee and Atlanta. So this year, I'm not saying the Sixers could win the championship, but it's a series where if they had won this series, I think they probably would have gone to the finals. But then again, Jimmy Butler is, is a different animal. But I think the Sixers are better than the Heat. I really think that the Sixers had a better chance of beating the Celtics than the Heat do next round. But they're just these two in the playoffs. Let's talk about Embiid. 
this guy wants to catch the ball at the three-point line every fucking time and then dribble into the post. He doesn't want to receive the ball. He doesn't want to work hard enough to get the ball literally on the block. He gets it in the mid-post. Okay, he's going to miss a mid-range or have to take five dribbles and take three or four bumps to get the shot that he wants. Al Horford was not only being super disciplined, staying strong, getting active hands in there, really well-timed help, by the way, when Embiid tried to turn by his by his other defenders, but the way he was guarding him one-on-one and blocking shots was just amazing. You have a three-inch height advantage over Al Horford, but you want to do that jump shot game. You want to do that turnaround after a couple bumps where he's getting right into you. You don't want to do a jump hook. You don't want to catch the ball super deep where it doesn't even matter if you have two bodies thrown at you, like Shaq. And then... I'm going to get into Embiid a little bit more, but that's why to me he was missing everything. Okay, a lot of it was just missed shots. But besides that, he makes his life so hard. And I don't know, you might be asking, why didn't he catch the ball in the middle of the floor like he has all you know, season long and all playoffs long? Because at the end of the day, they're still going to load up on him. And the best shot he's probably going to get is either in mid-range or passing it to somebody else. But again... You know, it was just, you know there's a lack of creativity from the Sixers offense because the Glenn Rivers is their coach. You're not going to get movement. You're not going to get, you know, Maxi coming off two, three screens. It's not going to happen. It's going to be very simplistic, and it's going to have to be the stars come through. And the stars haven't come through for Glenn, but I don't think he makes their lives that much easier. And then James Harden just continued to stink it up. Like, just, it was just a garbage performance, and the Celtics were just spraying. Marcus Smart started getting into the act. Malcolm Brogdon was getting into the act. Thought the Time Lord was good, and it was just over by... At the end of the third quarter, at one point, the Celtics led by 30 to obliterate the Sixers in Game 7 and embarrass them in front of the world, 112-88. to 88. It was a classic indeed, but not because of how close the game would be, because of how much of a blowout it would be, how much it said about Jason Tatum, and how much it said about the Sixers. I want to talk about the winning side first today. Let's look at the team stats real quick. The Celtics shot 47% from the field. The Sixers shot 37%. And by the way, I love the first half. It was a hard-nosed, East Coast-style defense, slow pace. Both teams shot under 90 shots in this game. So it tells you, you know, the pace that it was played at. Um, Three-pointers. The Sixers shot poorly, 21.6. And the Celtics finally had a game where they really were hitting from deep like we've seen them hit. 45.5% from three. 15 for 33 overall. From the foul line, it was about equal. 19 free throw attempts for the Sixers. 18 for the Seas. So 95% for Philly and 83 for the Celtics. Both teams shot pretty well from deep. Offensive rebounds were a scratch. 7-7. and And then assists, 18 for the Seas. 15 for the Sixers. 14 turnovers for... The Philadelphia 76ers, only eight for Boston, so you'll take that all day. The Sixers led by as many as nine, and the Celtics led by 30. And, you know, let's let's go to the Celtics before we talk about the Sixers. The Celtics, I mean, I think they're the best team in the league, and I've been saying for a long time this is their championship to lose, but it all comes down to one factor, the consistency of zero. All that other shit is musical chairs. I wonder how Al Horford's going to play. Oh, I wonder if Marcus Smart and the other guys are going to make shots. Shut the fuck up. Stop making excuses for the stars because you like blaming other players because you made excuses in your personal basketball career or your life. No offense to people because I think a lot of excuse makers these days in life just take accountability. You know, we're human beings. We fuck up in life. We fuck up in sports. Simple as. But when you harry responsibility of a star, 
then you got to look at the way you're playing first. And then if you're not playing well, you can't just blame all these other players on less salaries than you. That's why you get paid the big bucks. Not saying Tatum does that because he doesn't. But Tatum, he cooked when it mattered most. He cooked in two straight games. He didn't play well necessarily in game six, but he closed and he did all the other little things throughout the game. Jason Tatum is he embraces the moment. You know, he may have had that one blemish in the finals. Okay, big whoop against a super experienced team. But he embraces the moment. And that's one thing I noticed about him from his rookie year. He enjoys the spotlight. He likes being the franchise player for Boston. He takes all of that. He And I love it. I love that about him. He's ready for it. He has this confidence. People try to compare him to Paul George. This is the difference between him and Paul George. He has this confidence, this authority for over games that you can't teach. You just got to watch it. You can't describe it. It doesn't go in a stat. PG has never had that. Even with Indiana, he's never had it. And he doesn't do it with all the pressure in the world on him. Even against Miami, and I love those Paul George series against Miami, he was not, he didn't have the pressure on him. All the pressure was on the heat. You know what I'm saying? And even when we beat, you know, broke the curse, people started counting us out when Kawhi was out. So I don't know, man. It's not the same as Tatum, even though they have similarities. But one thing I also started noticing about the Celtics pick and roll that I don't want to leave out is in the third third quarter, yeah, the spacing for the Sixers wasn't that great, especially, you know, with P.J. Tucker, Tobias Harris, sometimes just standing right next to each other. And P.J., you know, was in the dunker spot a lot of times. It was just a little bit crowded. But it, it's a lot of it, too, is... The Celtics started playing the pick and pop so well to the point where Harden just did not come off those screens as fast. And Jalen was right on his hip and Horford was able to just hedge, or just not even hedge, just show for a second and then get right back to Embiid. And they were getting no advantage at all. None. And that's when you're playing such good pick and roll defense, when you're basically just playing a two on two game and you don't need any extra weak side rotation or a rotation from someone else against that level duo, I said that the second best pick and pop tandem or pick and roll tandem in the league behind Murray and Jokic, that tells you what kind of elite defense Horford and Jalen Brown were playing. So just amazing. Uh, just amazing overall. For the Celtics, they didn't play a very deep rotation, just seven players in real time. Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon. And Derek White only played 12 minutes. So Missoula rode with his big guns. And I got to say, all the adjustments I've made, rookie head coach with an offense-first lens, but he made great defensive adjustments. The Time Lord in, sagging off of P.J. Tucker, and then eventually going with some double teams with Embiid, some not, doubling him when he turns. Really good stuff for Missoula. So I think he did a good job overall. Malcolm Brogdon, his field goal percentage wasn't great, but again, I said it. He's going to be so big in these playoffs. He comes in and creates shots, scores himself 12 points, 5 for 14 from the field, just 2 for 6 from 3. But man, I just think he adds to the collective basketball IQ of any team. He was a plus 20. And then the starters, the lowest played was Al Horford, who played 34 minutes. And man, you'd never be able to tell how the Dominicano played with this stat line. Six points, 10 rebounds, two steals, and three blocks. Two for six in the field, but two for five from three. So you got Al Horford making 50, 40% of his threes. And that that five combined blocks and steals, the way he guarded Embiid. I mean, this guy's just a winner. He's just a fucking winner. Everywhere he goes, college, he won championships. NBA, he hasn't won the championship, but he only missed the playoffs one season when he was with, what, OKC, and they shut him down because they were winning too much. I think that's a testament to what Al Horford does. And you know what's funny is it didn't work out with Philly because here's the funniest part. Okay, like 
Al Horford's actually a stretch big. But the thing that people don't want to admit is that Embiid, when he didn't have that same spacing with Horford and Ben Simmons, he just could not score the same way. But he still got great numbers. But it's still just like, it's just funny the excuses people make about spacing for Embiid and then want to compare him to like historic bigs who didn't have the same spacing as Embiid. I just think, oh my God, Gen Z fans and like the modern fans to me are just so, they lack so much context. It's like fucking hilarious. And don't worry, I'm going to be putting somebody on a skillet later. They, I'm like, I'm warming up my grill right now. But Al Horford was a monster, like just a monster. The fact that he can guard the MVP at age 36 like that, he's older than his coach. He's older than his fucking coach, I'm pretty sure. This guy's a winner, man. He's a winner. He's strong. He's super patient. Doesn't go for the up fakes. Great hands. And just gets angles. How about Marcus Smart? A little bit quieter from him today. Seven points, four rebounds, four dimes, and a block. Plus 31. Three for seven from the field, one for three from deep. Solid game for Marcus Smart, but game six was really his biggest game of the series. He was just massive in that one. And then the Time Lord. You know, you acknowledged, he was acknowledged by Embiid after the game and just has his presence. Six points, five rebounds will never, ever tell you the full story with him, but he was so good. Three for six on the field in 30 minutes. And then the Jays. Jalen Brown, awesome performance by him, led by example. 25.6 rebounds, two steals, and two blocks. His defense on Harden was just fantastic. 25 points on 9 for 19 shooting and 3 for 6 from deep and 4 of 4 from the line. Big time performance by JB when his team needed it most. And then the main man, the record for a game seven. It's crazy. We've had the highest scoring game sevens in history in these playoffs. And just just to break it to you, it's going to be more and more as years go on with the way the scoring is in the NBA today and the three pointers. But not to take away anything from the guys doing it. Jason Tatum, you love to witness history though, too, right? Jason Tatum with a record in a game seven, the most points in a game seven. Did Curry have fifty one or fifty? Let me check that real quick. I think he had fifty. 50. Yeah, this was the highest scoring game seven ever. Congrats to Tatum, man. Talk about showing up when the Celtics needed it most. And it's not just a game seven win for Boston. It's a game seven win for Boston over Philly. That makes it that much sweeter. And in a year where Philly really thought like they they had a chance. And Tatum said no, because in game six, they were right there. Tatum shut the door. Game seven willed this team to win. Like that's, that's, that's some mama mentality shit right there. Like Jason Tatum, I, I, Actually, you know what? I'm, I'm going to save it because I'm going to go with Embiid. All right. 51 points. 13 rebounds. Five assists and two steals. And here's my favorite stat of them all. Zero turnovers. He was in business today. He meant business. 17 for 28 from the field. 6 for 10 from 3. 11 for 14 from the line. That's actually crazy. 6 for 10 from 3. In 42 minutes. Man amongst boys. But let's talk about the Sixers. Ooh-wee. This is what I've been waiting for all night. The eulogy begins. So the Sixers didn't go very deep into their bench. Niang got four minutes and was 0 for 1. One brick three and that was it. Daniel House, six minutes. Two for five. I don't even know if those baskets were in regular like time or garbage time. Paul Reed played 10 minutes. I don't know how much of this was fourth quarter garbage. Actually, no, they, they uh, waved the white flag. With like, I want to say like five minutes left. The Anthony Melton played 29 minutes. 
He was three for ten. So and one for five from three. So one thing, like the Sixers role players, not counting Maxi as a role player, they didn't show up in terms of shooting the ball um, in these last two games, especially from three. Especially from three. But it's interesting that Jalen McDaniels just stopped playing. So I wanted to check his game log real quick because he's a good defender and he was shooting decently from three. But let's see. Game one, he only played 11 minutes and was 0 for 2 from three. In this series, he's only shooting 33% from three, but he's only gotten six attempts. So that was pretty interesting. I thought he was going to play more. So let me know if you're a Sixers fan what you think of that. But you were going to see them roll with the starters most of the night. P.J. Tucker played 20 minutes. He had 11 points, all those in the first quarter, 4 for 7 from the field and 3 for 6 from 3. I get that he's not respected out there, but in a game where he's 4 for 7 and 3 for 6 from 3, I would honestly keep him out there. If you disagree, let me know. And then the other guys. Tobias Harris. I actually thought he was decent. One of the only ones. 19 points, 5 rebounds on 7 for 13 shooting and 1 for 7 from 3. And I think this was actually like one of Tobias Harris's best playoffs as a Sixer because his defense was like better than I'd ever seen it. But let's see if they have the season's the series stats up. He shot 48.6% from the field in the series, but just 26% from three. And you're going to need more than 12 points. I want him to get 15 points. He doesn't get the ball at all to initiate, though, and you just knew that because he's the fourth option. But I still, I don't know, man. I still expect a little bit more from Tobias overall. But... Anyway, Tyrese Maxey, he actually had a not a terrible shooting game, but it just felt like he wasn't really involved. 17 points, 3 rebounds, and 4 assists on 5 for 12 shooting and 2 for 6 from 3. I don't know if he had a better postseason than last, but it just felt he was kind of underutilized in this game. He had some big games, though, in the series. I mean, Game 5, he was just absolutely amazing. Game 1, he was really good. He averaged 20 points in the series but only shot 40% from the field and 34.5% from three, as opposed to the last series where he shot 47% from the field and 50 from three. So you can already, you can say Maxi had a bit of an underwhelming series. And if I had to point to one game, game six, I know he was nine for 20, but he missed so many good looks. Um, so yeah, Maxi, he's so young though, and I think that he's going to be great going forward. And then Plumber Jim, nine points, six rebounds, nine points, nine points. Six rebounds, seven assists, two steals, and five turnovers on three for 11 shooting and one for five from deep. It could not have been more of a nightmare for him. Like, it couldn't have been. As far as Plumber Jim, there's nothing more to say about this guy. I've questioned how hungry he is to win rings because of just, like, you know, just, I don't know, man. Maybe I'm just different. I'm a horrible loser. So, like, I just, like, wouldn't want to be seen at all after an L. That's embarrassing. But, like, he has no problems going out to the club after and, like, just being seen out. I get it, though. Like, that's maybe his coping mechanism is to go out and just, like, drink his pain away or just party with your friends. But I couldn't even smile, like, if I had lost. Like, when, my, when the Clippers lose a game seven, I, I, I can't even do Like, I'm just going to sit home and, like, do whatever. Like, I'm just, I'm just in such a bad mood. So, as a player, like, I used to get pissed after intramural games. Like, uh, oh, my God. I don't know, man. I just don't think he's that serious. And then talking about, like, I remember when Westbrook, they called it out about how, like, or I don't know if it was Westbrook or somebody within the team saying that he used to, like, be late for film sessions because he'd be out partying, like, with with little Baby. Kendrick Perkins said that in the finals he was out too late at night. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know how much he, I think he loves the lifestyle, and he says he wants to win rings and all this, but 
I don't know. He doesn't really play hard enough to me in the biggest moments. But it's not even just that. I just think that he's declined. But he's – and, yeah, he's just he's just not like that guy to me. He's never been the number one option on a championship team ever for obvious reasons back in the day, over-dribbling, foul-baiting, overworking himself by over-dribbling, neglecting the mid-range game, just doing that same tween-cross, tween-cross, step-back, fall over and over again, not playing defense. Um, being too ball dominant, not moving without the ball. I can keep going on and on. But the main thing is just, you know, just not showing up when it counts. And these are the games that you make your legacy on. Game sevens, elimination games, not regular season games where you drop 50, 10, and 10 against some Hawks team that can't defend a fucking cone or a chair. You know, those games do not make legacies. So with James Harden, He's never going to win a championship. Just like what I said about Chris Paul. He's going to join that Malone, Barkley, Baylor category, and that's perfectly okay. That's an amazing category to be a part of, but let's leave him out of certain conversations. He hasn't won as a second option, and he hasn't won as a first. And let me talk about the first option, because that's the guy that needs to be getting the most criticism of all. Because people have accepted who Harden is. He just didn't perform yet again. But Embiid, 15 points, 8 rebounds, 4 turnovers, just one assist, 5 for 18 from the field, and 0 for 4 from 3. Joel Embiid is, I'm not going to use the the word fraud because I don't use those kind of words to describe players like that, but he majorly, majorly underperforms in the playoffs, and we finally Finally, holla fucking Luya. I've been saying it for two years. Go back and check the receipts. They're on this channel. And I like Embiid. I like his game. And I'm a huge fan of like foreign players, especially African players. I mean, I like Embiid. But people were making so many excuses for him. So many excuses for him about he was injured. But okay, fine. He was injured. Granted, he was injured again this year. But one of the things that makes all-time greats is that they have played through pain. You're not going to be 100% in the playoffs all the time. You're going to have bumps and bruises. You're going to have sprains. You're going to have to find a way to push through. And here's the funny part. After game five, was anybody talking about Embiid's sprained knee? Nah. We were not saying shit. He didn't perform. Talking about, oh, I didn't get the ball late in the game in game six. What the fuck? Demand the ball. This is your team. This is your franchise. Game seven playing like that. And you know the major issue is the way he plays. The way he plays. All, and this is this is targeted to all you Gen Z bots that want to glorify all the moves that he makes. He's a seven-footer playing like this. He Look at the way he can dribble. His hezzy pull-up. Like, bro, he's 7-2. Anytime he shoots those, these kind of shots, the defense is saying, thank God he is not punishing me with his size and physicality and getting right to the basket. It's a bailout every damn time. You guys love these big men that can shoot. Do you know why big men shooting was a big deal? Because when you had an inside game and then you went outside, then you became unpredictable and unstoppable. Not outside in. And Joel Embiid, because of this era, he gets away with it. He can catch the ball at the three-point line and just dribble into his own post up finally he played against a defender and a team that's physical enough that's skilled enough to get him to brick when it counts you can get away with it with your shitty ass teams that you play against all regular season and your friendly ass whistle give me a break 
You know what? Do you want to know the difference between Jokic and Embiid? It's not just the passing. It's not just the passing in his team. It's because when Jokic wants to dominate scoring-wise, he gets his ass on the fucking block. Embiid wants to... Oh, with that, with that ridiculous quote this year about these old heads don't know what they're talking about. You can't just post up on the block all game. Nobody's asking you to post up on the block all game. But when you post up, it's good to be deep and on the block. But you know why I said it's harder for them to double me at the nail? But here's the thing. They can still load up on you. The thing is he likes that foul line pull up. But at the end of the day, that's his counter. And I think that's a great counter for guards, not for guys that size. Because when you get the ball deep enough at that size, you can still get your shot off. The problem is when he shoots and he's double teamed, he's 18 feet away from the basket, not five feet away from the basket like Shaq was. And by the way, for all the people that want to say zone defense, zone defense, illegal defense. No, Shaq dominated even after that bullshit ass rule. Even Tim Duncan did the same thing in the post. If you listen, you guys say that because you don't know the counters because you don't watch old basketball. So that's why I, I am here to educate you motherfuckers. That's why I'm here. So let me tell you something. This season we played against the, the, the Sixers, right? Clippers. Nico Batum was fronting him in the post, and we had a guy ready to come over from the weak side corner to double when he catches the ball. That's something that was technically illegal under the old illegal defense rules. But here's the new illegal defense, defensive three-second violation. So when somebody is cheating over from the weak side corner, they have to make sure that they time their help well because you can't just sit in the paint. You can't just sit in the paint without the ref doing the three. And they watch that when it's coming from the weak side corner. Now, how do you counter that? I don't know. You can just throw a shitty lob pass like today's players do and turn the fucking ball over. Or you can go sit down and watch some film of other eras when they actually knew how to counter it. Because when you see that counter in today's game, it still works. You want to know what it's called? It's called a high-low. And what they do is you brought Tobias Harris from the wing to the foul line or whoever it's getting doubled off of. And now your passing angle changes... And you toss it over the top straight away. So now you have a different angle to pass. And now it's like you swing the ball and the guy has to, you know, rotate really quickly to try to get back around him. That's called a high-low. And you know what they did in that game? Tobias Harris went to the foul line. They lobbed it over Batum and Embiid was killing. So when I saw Embiid do all that and we had no answer for it, I said, in these playoffs, I don't want to hear any fucking excuses about him not posting up deep enough. Because there's a counter to everything. But he wants to keep coming from the three-point line and catching the ball out there. Okay, fine. Keep saying that. Insulting the greats of the game. Talking about you can't just do this and that. You can do it. You have a lot of spacing, bro. You know what I'm saying? Compared to then? No, don't give me that shit. He doesn't want to get double teamed. He doesn't treat, he doesn't handle doubles very well, quite frankly, as well. And you had people comparing, he's a more skilled Hakeem Olajuwon. He's like Hakeem, but he's added stuff to it. Shut the fuck up. Stop disrespecting the players that have gone out there and performed in the big stage. Embiid is going up against 36-year-old Al Horford. Hakeem Olajuwon took David Robinson's soul away. What are we doing? And then J.J.? Who well, I will not get to his nickname. Talking about Embiid is as good as Wilt? As good as Wilt? Do you know what Wilt Chamberlain did? Do you know? Listen, here's always going to be the argument. Oh, well, if Embiid played in that era, I'm not even going to go to that nonsense yet. But if you put their highlights side by side, it looks like Embiid's on a, on a different galaxy. But that's because you have to understand two major rules of the past. One, the dribbling. You can't put your hand underneath or on the lower half third of the ball. So Wilt, when big men who don't even typically were supposed to, were not encouraged to dribble at all, are 
palming the, not palming the ball, slapping the ball down like this, it's going to look archaic. So people think that, you know, he can't dribble the ball. But Wilt actually, in the, on the break, could bring the ball up pretty well for a big. And then, secondly, the offensive foul slash player control stuff. You can't just lower your shoulder into guys like that. So Wilt could have averaged, if they allowed him to do that, what Shaq was doing or what Embiid does, he would have averaged 80 points a game. They would have had to do something to kick him out of the NBA. I promise you this. Because nobody's strong enough back then, or any era, but especially back then when they didn't lift weights yet. That's why it was such a finesse game. So, And by the way, on that time machine argument about Embiid in the 60s, this is the guy who needed major surgeries before he stepped foot in the NBA. He gets injured in every postseason in the load management era with all these modern surgeries and all these different mu muscle activation guys and all this. And you're telling me that he would last in the 60s with one trainer and you literally have to like, you know, do your own physical therapy type shit most of the time. And you're riding on commercial planes, playing 82 games on like these creaky ass floors on, in Converse. And you're telling me Embiid would average this and that in the 60s. He'd be lucky to average four seasons. He'd, ever, he'd be lucky to play that. But here's the thing. Who gives a fuck about what somebody would do in a different era? That doesn't matter. They're not growing up then. It matters what they're doing now. And Embiid is not nearly as good in his era. Or even if you put Will Chamberlain now, he's not as good as Will Chamberlain. Will Chamberlain's a better defender. He's, I don't even need to do this. Why am I even doing this? Will Chamberlain is one of the greatest players to ever play. So many people think the actual players that played and actual fans at the time think he's the greatest player to ever play basketball. And whether you agree with him or not, he's in the conversation. The numbers don't lie, and he still has two rings. And he ended an eight-year dynasty and averaged a 21-32-10 in the conference finals against Bill Russell. 21-32-10. And they beat him in five, bro. He beat an eight-ring-in-a-row team. And you want to talk about Embiid, who hasn't been past the second round, is as good as him because of what he does in the regular season? Do you know how disrespectful that is? And this is the mo the savior of NBA media because he's better than the other cronies on television and because he's good at talking about X's and O's in the modern game. We need to separate knowing the modern game and knowing everything about this kind of things. I don't want to hear Joel Embiid's name with Akeem, with, with Wilt Chamberlain, with these players anymore. Like, he's not on that level. And he's not on Jokic's level either. So, stop with that conversation. That's done. Over. Because Jokic knows what time it is when it's time to score. He gets on the fucking block. And he doesn't even get on the block. He understands that the spacing is crazy in today's NBA. He's camping out in the... He's literally outside the restricted area. He's literally in the middle of the paint, outside the restricted area, catching the ball. Sealing. And by the way, that's one thing he's much better at than Embiid, is sealing. Jokic, you want to see how people in the past would, would post players would dominate... See what Jokic does. But what Jokic does that makes him even more incredible, like a special talent, is the passing. Which is like, I mean, we've had some great passers in the past that were bigs. Better than Embiid, for sure. And Embiid's an improving passer, but against higher level defenses, he seems to still struggle passing out of that double. But like, Wilt was an amazing passer. Jokic is at a different level. I mean, he's, he's pretty special. But that's it for me, right? Like, I got nothing else to say. And by the way, as far as the Sixers' future, oh my god, I almost forgot the best part of this video. But as far as the Sixers' future, I'm not saying Embiid's never going to win a championship as the best player. I'm not saying that. Harden, I said that. Chris Paul, I said that. Uh, KD, I said that. I think Embiid has a chance if he actually gets his ass on the block and stops falling in love with jump shots and that style of play. That may just be who he is, though. But I think he has a chance. But I just don't think with two, re two people that will not help him in that quest. Plumber Jim and Glenn Rivers. 
You got to get rid of those two. And Maxi will help you though. Keep Embiid, keep Maxi, let Tobias finish his contract, keep like Melton and, and, and McDaniels. And then, you know, and, and I, would, I would keep Tucker as well. And then keep replenishing the supporting cast. Maybe see what you can do with Harden. He obviously has this free agency situation coming up. Um, I think he can opt out. I haven't checked his contract, but that's my thing with them. As far as Boston, I, as I said, it's their championship to lose. They've got to beat Miami again. Nice rematch of the last year's conference finals. That was a great series, by the way. So I'm really excited for that. So the, the Celtics and the Heat since 2010 have had some crazy history with one another. Um, it's been the Heat in the LeBron era that beat them, but now it's the Celtics that are beating them. Although the Heat beat them in the in the bubble, so I shouldn't say that. The Celtics just beat them last year. So third year out of four that they're playing each other in the conference finals. So you got to give credit to Jimmy Butler and, and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Actually, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and Eric Spolstra on that side, and then on this side, Tatum and Brown. So, because, you know, three years out of four, it's no coincidence. But that's going to be a great series. I'm not going to give my prediction yet, even though I just did, well, in terms of who I think is winning, until the preview. Lakers-Nuggets, obviously the other side of the bubble rematch in the conference finals. Um, it's going to be awesome. I think it's going to be two, two really good series. I'm really excited for it. The Celtics took care of business. I mean, this is not going to make or break their season. Like they, I'm sorry, winning this is not a successful season. they got to win the championship. No excuses. But as far as the Sixers, they had to make it out of this second round. They had a 3-2 lead. Like you blew a 3-2 lead and you had the game six at home. I mean, Joel Embiid has no one to blame but himself. Plumber Jim played like ass, but that should have been expected. I expected more from you because you're the guy they made excuses for. He happens every year he shuttles for these jump shots and gets pushed out of the paint. He makes his life hard. So I, I'm not going to grill him for defense. It's hard to guard Tatum on the perimeter. Like, it's just hard. But, yeah, I, I would keep him be. Don't give up. It's You know, stay in Philly. Like, you still need a guy that's going to be even a – how many guys can actually win a championship as the best player? Like, it's very, it's like three or four guys, right? So, Embiid, the fact that you can even, like, he and Jimmy Butler, for example, who haven't, sh Tatum as well, who haven't shown it yet, haven't proven it, but that you think they can do it. Like, maybe Booker and Luka is also, are also in that conversation. You've got to give them a chance. And Embiid is still, like, these are his, pro these are his peak years, so you got to ride it out if you're the Sixers. Like, no blow it up, no nothing, but maybe a little retool. But the main guy they just can never win with, and nobody's going to win with him, is Glenn Rivers with a capital GG. What did I fucking tell you guys three years ago about this fraud? He's the most overrated coach in the history of basketball. Top 15. Do you know how disrespectful that list was to Bill Sharman and Alex Hannum and Rudy Tom? Did, did Rudy Tom Jonovich make it? Somebody fact check me on that. But Alex Hannum and Bill Sharman didn't get selected for Glenn Rivers, the one-time champion who had a Fucking one of the most stacked teams in the history of basketball. Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, Rondo, Prime Perkins, who's a really solid role player in his day, even though he says crazy shit on TV now. And then James Posey, who'd, who, who would be getting paid 20 plus million these days. Tony Allen, who barely even played because they were so good. Leon Poe, PJ Brown, Big Baby, Eddie House, Sam Cassell. Like, they were so deep, and they were filled with dogs. And they had Tom Thibodeau sitting there with his defensive schemes. Is he even going to win that ring without Tibbs? He hasn't even made it to a finals without him. He hasn't made it to the conference finals since 2012. He took that second-round curse with him to Philly. He's never making it out of the second round anymore. And was it even his fault? Nah, not even. I don't even think it was his fault. But here's the thing. His offense lacks creativity, so he's never going to crazy elevate a team. And he didn't play McDaniels at all, which I don't know what that was about. 
But again, he just lacks creativity and he just he's never he's not that guy. He's not that guy, man. He's fucking garbage. He's not a good coach. Okay, he's overrated as hell. And I can literally list every single reason in the book why. I can write an essay. You've heard me talk about this enough at this point. So I don't even need to go into the specifics. He is a glorified expert in choking. He has a PhD in that shit. He has a fucking PhD. 3-2 lead. It's, I mean, it's so funny. GG Glenn. Never going to win another ring. You better, like, again, it's time to hit the broadcasting booth, brother. I've been saying this for years. It's time to hit the broadcasting booth. Most overrated coach in NBA history. Seems like a great human being. He took years off my life, and he's taking years off Sixers' lives, Sixers fans' lives as well. Do everyone in that city a favor, in that great organization, and do him beat a favor and get out of there. He said, I have two, I've still got two more years of my contract. That ashy-ass voice of his. I can't even fucking stand hearing him talk anymore. He is garbage. Get him out of here. Get Glenn Rivers the fuck out of here, man. Overrated-ass coach. He's never going to make it past the second round again. 80 people on this Sunday night. I love it. Thank you so much for joining me, guys. That's it for tonight. I can't even get that much more into the Glenn Rivers shit because he didn't really do anything that wrong to me. He's just garbage, though, and I've been telling you this. He's not going to make it past the second round. I told you the Sixers are never making it past the second round with Plumber Jim and, and Glenn. I told you this. Like, and you, you know, and I, for the most part, though, everybody believes me, so I, I can't even push back. But I just love, like, so, JJ Baby Dick, stop talking out of your ass about the history of the game, you weirdo. You're Wilt Chamberlain and, and, and Embiid, like, stop, dude. The only thing Embiid does better is shoot free throws and jump shots. Stop. Akeem Olajuwon? Embiid wouldn't even say he's better than Akeem. But Embiid deserves the slander after that quote about these old guys think they can do this and that. You can just sit there on the block all game. You post up. It's easier to double. There's new rules. Nah, man. Talk, tell that to Jokic. But anyway, that's it for me today, guys. Now to the live subscribers waiting patiently in the chat. Super chat to turn on if you want to jump a dollar a dime. Let me know what you thought of the episode. Celtics fans, my minute men and minute women, congratulations on making it to the conference finals. If you listen to the episode, please let me know what you think because I haven't been getting enough feedback from you guys, which is unfortunate. It's going to be a great series. Eastern Conference Finals rematch. Uh, and the Lakers Nuggets 2020 Conference Finals and 09 Conference Finals rematch. Peace.